Hey, Colton Classic Podcast friends and fiends. It is I, your host, Nate Wyckoff. I wanted to let you know what is special about this episode. It is that it was originally intended as a mini-sode, meaning a short 10 to 15 minute episode as a bonus uh, that would come later in the week after the normal episode is posted. However, because our hosts and guests, yes, myself included, were so passionate about the subject, it became a full-blown episode. So I am proud to present it to you here as a full episode. Thanks so much for listening to Colton Classic Podcast and enjoy. Welcome to Cult and Classic. Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. Today we have a special mini-sode for you. That is a mini-episode where we go over uh, very specific topics. Uh, And this topic for this mini-sode is Your Protagonist Sucks. Uh, We are going to talk about uh, our... uh, films that we most dislike the protagonists and i'm excited to hear all about it with us as usual we have jeffrey tucker how are you doing jeff good i probably hate something that you love <laughs> that is, is we're gonna counter a lot of that i think we're gonna have some <laughs> some 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 gridlock here and also we have tad mastroianni how are you doing tad i'm a ghost and i'm practicing spectral distancing spectral distancing how how appropriate of you uh, and with us, we have Amanda Longley. Mandy, how are you doing? Good. I'm feeling feisty. Ready feeling for some good debates. Ready for some debates. Yes. Well, that is what we've got going on. And I want to give a shout out to our patrons. Uh, remember that in addition to listening to our podcast, you can also watch videos of us on uh, our patron or rather our Patreon site, if you're a patron. It is $1 a month to get access to all the videos, plus upcoming special features like additional movie reviews, rants, and all sorts of cool creative goodness. You can also donate 5 or $10 monthly as well, in which case we send you physical goodies like autographed original trading cards. They are super legit. Uh, and zines, which feature all sorts of craziness from us. So it is, is super worth checking that out. Go to www.patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast for more on that. And we are going to dive right in. Now, I'm going to start with Tad. Tad, you were tasked with picking a movie where you thought the main character was abhorrent, obnoxious, somehow sucked. Uh, And you picked which film? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Scott Pilgrim versus the world starring Michael Sarah, correct? Yes. And nobody get it twisted. I love this movie and I love most of the characters in this movie, but it's so easy to hate Scott. It's actually really easy to hate most of the main characters in this movie because every douchebag. But the main reason that I picked Scott is because he's an easy target because he's a milk toast motherfucker who has no personality and yet somehow manages to break three different hearts throughout the movie, I believe. It's, where, yeah. I, mean, where, I mean, where do I even start? So, so for people who aren't familiar with this film, it's really interesting. It's from 2010. Um, the, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley uh, wrote and uh, I believe illustrated as well a uh, comic series. Uh, it's, a, it's a Western comic series, but it's in like the manga format. And it's about the titular Scott Pilgrim, and it's called Scott Pilgrim. And this is the live action adaptation that Edgar Wright directed. Edgar Wright also made um, a lot of the uh, sort of, what would you even even call those? Um, the, the vehicles for Simon Pegg. Shaun of the Dead from 2004, he was director of that. He directed The World's End. Um, so he's done some great comedic stuff. Um, interestingly enough, he also directed the video uh, for Beck's song Colors, and I'm sure it in part came to be because Beck orchestrated much of the music in this movie. The music in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is super awesome. Um, tell us a little about the plot for this movie, for those who are not familiar. So the plot, at least, this this follows one of the main arcs of the comic series where Scott meets Ramona Flowers and has to fight the seven... Uh, Deadly X's, I believe. Is that what they're called? I believe so. And honestly, (laughs) 
the best part of the movie is the X's because all the personalities are ridiculously over the top. They all have superpowers. They're all narcissistic assholes. And Jason Bateman, it, no, it's not him. What is it? Uh, what's his name? Schwartzman. I can't. Jason Schwartzman. Schwartzman. There we go. Yep. There's, a, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Jason Schwartzman is absolutely my favorite character in the entire movie because he's bombastic. He's a huge douchebag. But at the same time, you can't help but love him because he tends to back up whatever he's saying. Yeah, he, he plays G or Gideon Graves, who is the, the he's a producer, right? The music producer? Yeah, and you, you can't go wrong with a name like that. It sounds like he should have been in Misfits. Yeah, for sure. And I agree, Jason Schwartzman, he plays the role so perfectly. He is in top, weird, schmarmy character actor form. Um, the cast for this movie is pretty great, I think. You've got, I'm not a huge Anna Kendrick fan, um, but it's mostly, I feel like her roles rather than her personally. But she plays uh, Scott's sister. Stacy, and then you have Aubrey Plaza is in there. She's awesome. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, you've got um, probably you got Ellen Wong. You've also got interesting, weird background guest stars like Chris Evans is in it. I'm not even sure he's he's technically credited. Uh, he must be. He's, he plays Lucas Lee, but it, there's Brie Larson's in there. It's just there's a lot of people in there that if you might not even have recognize them at the time but now they are more famous um so i'm i'm when i first saw your pick tad i have to say um i was aghast because i would vote michael sarah into the president's office i <laughs> god sarah is my hero and i i personally have my lucky boxers uh feature a drawing of an owl wearing a red white and blue um headband sweatband and uh i consider it my michael serotonin so i'm just gonna tell you right now i but i understand his character is kind of a douchebag is a huge douchebag considering that you know a girl falls madly in love with him and he basically spends half the movie ignoring her and trying to avoid her because he's a giant douchebag. And I get it. This is, this is one of those things, like one of the reasons why I love the movie and hate it at the same time is because it feels real. This, is, this stuff happens in real life. This movie treats um, how, the, what relationships actually, like toxic relationships are really like in real life. You know, people get together just for the hell of it. They get bored. They're too chicken shit to actually break up. Meanwhile, some douchebag is chasing some chick who over and over again throughout the entire movie is literally saying, I'm not worth this trouble. And she's correct. So throughout the entire movie, and this is one of the reasons why I hate the fucking spot Scott Pilgrim character. Ramona Flowers is not an interesting character. She's not portrayed as an interesting character. She doesn't want to be an interesting character. And I think that's part of her personality is she literally states, people treat me as if I'm an archetype. You know, she doesn't want to be one. She treats, I mean, she spends most of the movie essentially trying to get out of the movie. Um, yeah. And that's, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays uh, Ramona Flowers. And I, we have a clip here. This is, so uh, Scott and his friends are in a band, right? Um, the Sex Bomb Bombs. And which in and of itself is a, you'll, you'll notice video game threads throughout the film, as well as the comics, video game culture and um, visuals. It plays a huge part in this. And they have a band and the band essentially fights other bands through music on occasion. It's a very creative, very bizarre coins popping out of shit, super video gaming. It's just a weird, weird visual experience. This is when they are introducing to Michael Sarah and the rest of the band two um, uh, Japanese uh, electronic uh, musicians who are, are exes. They're twins and Ramona dated them both at the same time. And so Scott has to defeat them and he does that by bringing his band and they do a band to band face off. This is at the beginning when he's being told about these characters. Here we go. Ramona dated twins. Yeah. At the same time. You know what? I don't know and I don't want to know. Good. Because you know how I feel about girls getting blocked in the rock. Good. I play better when I'm in a bad mood. If it's going to be an issue, though, young Neil can fill in for you. It's not an issue. You know bands, I know battles. We got it covered. Well, we'd understand if you didn't want to take part. Not only do I want to take part, I want to take them apart. Okay. I'm getting tingles. So... Michael Sarah is is playing he plays it straight as though like 
this movie is ridiculous the entire time yeah like there's no a, a couple of characters play it kind of realistically but most of them are really like over the top caricatures of of uh what you would expect someone to to be like who is in a an indie band or is like a love struck 20 something loser or or late teen loser and i don't know tad when you said like it felt real it is weird how it pulled out like i don't know maybe it's because you and i were both in a couple of bands together it, the whole vibe of like the the garbagey taped together nature of music that's in this movie and again i adore the music having a vinyl it's phenomenal uh, and i also am a big beck fan so maybe that feeds into it but it does feel kind of real and it is kind of uncomfortable because he's essentially making a mistake the whole movie, right? Yeah, that's, um, that's all he does. He mistakes his way to winning the girl in the end, which it's not like he doesn't earn it. It's not unearned. The problem is, is that they're just going to be douchebags together forever or until they inevitably break up. I didn't read the rest of the comics, so I wouldn't know if they actually stayed together or not. Well, and, and just to kind of throw it out there, but he does get kicked out of the band. Yes, uh, and an the asshole. band then becomes much better because of it, which I think is an interesting, like, it's this sort of parallel where it's like, um, no, he actually was not good for the band. Uh, no. Not that he wasn't a good bass player, he just was not good for the band. So he was a terrible bass player. I love how the movie doesn't even, like, try to hide the fact, he's, he's fucking terrible, he sounds terrible, and they, they, they eventually, they're just like, alright, you're out. Yeah, and if you're in a band, you understand what we're talking about with bass players. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> I know some people who I love who are bass players, but we had one bass player for a hot minute in the chud, and, at which point uh, he was homeless and disappeared with a bass for like two years. So uh, we did get it back. Uh, hey, Blake, shout out. So, That's very uh, bass. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bass. It's pretty bass. Um, so, Mandy, have you seen Scott Pilgrim versus the World? I have, and uh, I, I guess to Tad's point, the biggest part of it that I don't remember was Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like, I remember having a very comic book feel. Um, I think I remember a part where they, like, slid down a really long handrail. Was it on a skateboard or something? With some, like, video game noises i don't know it was it was really fun that's mostly what i remember about it but i don't really remember anything about the main character of the movie this is an antagonist movie all the antagonists yeah. are way more interesting sure. i remember i remember like a weird apartment like yeah, yeah. The, the frankly the basement apartment yeah. <laughs> yeah. i think that was the that's the most that i remember about scott's character i saw it right when it came out and and uh allison pill plays my favorite character in the whole movie, Kim Pine, um, who is the drummer for the moment. And she is uh, just the most, I was going to say she's Daria-esque, but she's not because she's actively sort of antagonistic as opposed to just snarky. And she just like eye knives everyone in the movie throughout the entire film until the very end. And it's, it's great. Um, Jeff, what was your take on Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Do you agree with Tad? that sort of uh, Scott was I mean I mean I like I like the kind of like the surreal world and uh, you know the the silliness of it um, I, I tend to really go for that type of stuff in films like um, if, if it's done well because then then you see like a, a little bit of kind of your world in these kind of kooky uh, kind of more interesting worlds like who doesn't want to live in you know in a world where you can have like you know a vid video game battle with you know another person and uh you know that that's a lot of fun but there's also the, those little real nuggets of uh human relationships in there so i don't know i, I love the film um i i actually had, hadn't really thought of scott pilgrim as good or bad he just was you know this neutral element that pushed the story along <laughs> and that's that's so, yeah. kind of that's kind of one of the reasons why I picked it because it's a great movie and the characters are well fleshed out. But the, the ultimately the question is, does the protagonist suck? Yes. Yes, he does. But he, mm. he's great at sucking. And, well, and I just, so I agree. <laughs> I also really love this movie. I recommend anyone who hasn't seen this movie, especially those who are into the indie music scene, Michael Sarah or, um, like especially retro video games like it's, it's half the film sounds like mario sounds over it's, uh a, a 
a Beck soundtrack. This and is the this is the nerd culture movie that kind of defined nerd culture movie that Ready Player One tried to emulate and failed miserably at because that was a movie I was thinking about picking. And then I went, that's such low hanging fruit that my balls would be dragging across the floor. So why don't I pick something that's a little more controversial? Well, we certainly don't want your balls on the floor. Um, It's too late, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone saw this Um, earlier this year, uh, Edgar Wright did, uh, I don't know if he did an interview or he tweeted or, or something in response to some questioning. Uh, it came out that, that he's never liked Seth MacFarlane. Uh, creator of of and voice actor for for many things, including Family Guy and 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 uh, American Dad, uh, the Cleveland Show, and uh, Johnny Bravo back in the day. And his his reason was is that uh, I've actually got the the quote right here. He the film didn't have a huge opening. It opened fine uh, as far as compared to other films, but it it cost money. So they were uh, they were a little upset, and uh, Seth MacFarlane made a joke. Uh, he actually it was just a tweet. He just tweeted uh, Seth MacFarlane tweeted Scott Pilgrim Zero the World Two, and that was it. That's what was like. That's fucking hilarious. And and it, it is it is funny, right? And I mean I love the movie. I love Michael Cera and I love Beck. So I and I like Edgar Rice films. So I was I was. Um, I, I thought it's it was a good late night joke. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was, it was nothing. <laughs> yeah. But apparently, it rubbed Edgar Wright like so wrong that um, when Seth MacFarlane's movie "A Million Ways to Die in the West" came out and it bombed, it made only like sixty million mm. or something. Uh, he was like, "Ah ha ha!" And I was like, "Is that you direct a little comedies? A little vindictive and, there, and yeah. you can't and you can't take a." a, a a sentence fragment tweet joke about your Scott Pilgrim film. I, I don't know. I don't know why that totally, totally blew me away, but it was the most, it was the weirdest uh, sort of thing to come back with. How many years later, 10 years later. So I don't know. I don't know if I, I just, I feel like Edgar Wright is still like, Oh, Seth MacFarlane, you ruined my chances at film. And I'm like, I don't think that happened. I don't think that's what happened at all. Um, Edgar Wright, yeah. Seth MacFarlane, feel free to write in. Let's weigh in on this. Uh, that's that's interesting because, like, mouth. you know, the like late night talk show hosts or whatever, like every night go and make fun of like people like this all the time, right? And they don't usually sure. get a lot of flack. And I kind of see like Seth MacFarlane as like the late night talk show host that just never got a show. I feel like mm. that. yeah and i mean now people disagree with me but i mean i think what caused a, a glitch in edgar wright's career was baby driver in 2017 so i don't know uh that maybe that's a low blow people like mm. that movie i don't know i'm not i don't never even heard of it oh, well. i haven't seen it they got uh, good ratings though it did i mean go see it sure i mean well, sure sure was this a sequel <laughs> to Baby out or something no, it, it, it. I don't. I don't even know. I'm just gonna say, just watch the movie. It's not a terrible film. It's not a terrible film. I will say that I'm interested in um, Edgar Wright's next film, which is uh, coming out sometime next year, called Last Night in Soho, and it's uh, it's about it's a time travel movie with a little bit of horror elements about a girl who becomes a sort of a jazz singer in London, I think, or some sort of singer in London, like a club singer. It uh, seems interesting, so keep your eye out for that one. But okay, Tad. So I think it's interesting that uh, you picked a movie that you like with a character that is obnoxious. Do you think that if you got a new character in there with more personality, it would have been a better movie, or do you think it's just not structured that way? No, no. I absolutely think the movie wouldn't have worked if he wasn't a douchebag. But I felt it was really worth uh, subverting your expectations once again, Nathan. Yeah, it's true. Uh, okay, we're gonna move on. Um, Mandy, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you next. And here's something interesting: is that when uh, we prompted these questions to all of our uh, all of you guys for your responses, everyone actually took like a lot of time to think about it and sort of uh, had some difficulty getting the films that they wanted to talk about in line. But you like shot back. It felt like like you you emailed back real quick. You knew exactly what you were gonna talk about. Um, <laughs> What movie did you pick with a, a sucky protagonist? Oh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
Ferris I hate Ferris Bueller. Hate him <laughs> so much. I think the movie's really fun. Like, I don't know if it could have been approached in a way where, like, the main character was just not a complete dick. But, like, I think, you know, when I was a kid and I saw this, like, I, I've always been a Cameron. I was, like, three going on 30, like, from the beginning. <laughs> um, so I was just, like, I mean, like, I could see he's having fun, but he's having fun at everyone's expense. He's, like jerk to his best friend getting him in trouble like he's lying to all these people saying his girlfriend's grandparent is dead and like twisting his friend's arm into it he's just like he hates his sister which i'm not okay with having a little brother that you know would hate me or be a jerk to me like that wouldn't be okay <laughs> at all um like the i think the only part that i remember liking and the stuff that Ferris Bueller did was when he like rigged up like the fake sick body to like move with like the counterweight uh, when someone like like opened the door to check on him like it made it look like he was real but that's because I was also like three going on becoming an engineer so like yeah I could appreciate that part of it. So Ferris Bueller for anyone who doesn't know um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is about uh, a high school um, sort of ne'er-do-well who fakes being sick uh, so he can get a day off from school and his parents go to work, his sister goes to school and then he's like, I'm gonna have the best day ever. And he brings, sort of drags his friend Cameron along for the ride. And it is uh, a John Hughes movie from 1986. John Hughes directed and wrote it and, and also uh, helped produce it. And Matthew Broderick starred as Ferris Bueller. And this was really his, his big role, I feel, uh, was um, <coughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, there's, there's lots of, there, there are every, everything from memes to uh, clips to things people say over and over again that come from this movie. You know, Bueller, Bueller. Um, I don't know if I had a, a buck every time some teacher somewhere said that when we were in class and someone didn't answer roll call, I would have uh, uh, at least $10 throughout my life. And uh, that seems like a lot. There's a lot of uh, big stars in this film, or at least big stars in the 80s and people who became big stars in the 80s. Uh, Charlie Sheen's in a little role. Uh, he, he's young, he's a boy in the police station. Christy Swanson uh, is in it at, at one point. And uh, anyone who doesn't know, Christy Swanson was the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer for that movie. Uh, and uh, she's kind of a dumpster human. Uh, she supported Donald Trump saying horribly racist things and has gone one step further. So uh, she was a sex icon, but that's long gone. Uh, we have Jennifer Grey. Um, Alan Ruck plays Cameron, does quite well. Mia Sarah plays Sloane, another one of their friends. It's, it's just a, I think it's a fun movie. Um, let's listen to this clip because they end up doing all sorts of crazy things. And I think the point you're getting to, Amanda, is Ferris really, he has this amazingly fun adventure, but it really is at the expense of tons of other people. Like, it isn't like, it's lighthearted, but I mean, crashing car, like everything is just disastrous for everyone else. Um, but he has quite mm -hmm. a time. This is him in the beginning. He has just tricked his parents and now they are gone. And, and now we see what's really going on. Incredible. One of the worst performances of my career and they never doubted it for a second. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? this semester it's getting pretty tough coming up with new illnesses if i go for 10 i'm probably gonna have to barf up a lung so i better make this one count the key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands it's a good non-specific symptom i'm a big believer in it a lot of people will tell you that a good phony fever is a deadlock but uh you get a nervous mother you could wind up in a doctor's office that's worse than school you fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over, moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. It's a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. Yeah, so it's that. I mean, it, this is this is kind of the quintessential '80s high school like teen movie um, 
without copious amounts of nudity like you know you have those two types of teen films from the 80s you have like the screwball comedies like lloyd coffin started with like screwball and then you have um these kind of john hughes movies where they're kind of they're sort of like family fair in a way um even though they're not uh necessarily things you would actually want your child to do um John Hughes, I'm a big John Hughes fan. He died uh, too young in 2009, but he'd stopped making movies uh, for some time before, but he's done tons of stuff. This falls like right in the midst of his most famous phase, I think, um, because he, in it, this is 86, and in 85, he'd done The Breakfast Club. He did uh, 16 Candles in 84. He did Weird Science in 85, Pretty in Pink, the same year uh, as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Some Kind of Wonderful uh, was in 1987, and uh, which was a little bit more kind of the, the serious one of the bunch. And then he went on to do some other things. He wrote Home Alone, uh, Uncle Buck, The Great Outdoors, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is uh, currently being rebooted uh, by no. Kevin Hart and Will Smith, I think. Um, you know, wow. it, it is it is what it is. But yeah, so we've he's he's did very well in Hollywood uh, from from that. I will just say this: I'll throw it out there. Um, anyone who's interested in sort of liking John Hughes films in '83, he wrote a couple other writers on, but he was one of the main writers of Savage Islands, which originally was called Nathan Hayes. Uh, it's like I said, it's from '83. It's only a few years before. It stars uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Michael O'Keefe. Uh, it's like an action 80s I, I don't even know like comedy-ish kind of film uh, definitely watch it it's totally worth seeing uh, a completely different side of John Hughes writing uh, to see that but yeah so we kind of saw what you were talking about right Mandy in that clip mm -hmm. he's just like it, it, like literally I was like cringing like just listening to him be like and then you lick your palms and I'm just like Ah! <laughs> it's like, want to strangle and you? Scene, <laughs> this is near the opening scene, and the opening scene is when it, his parents are like in his room, and he's like cuddled in the bed, and it's like, I'll go to school, <laughs> kind of thing. And mm -hmm. he's actually, his sister is behind them, and is like, Are you really believing this? And they're like, You have to be nice. And while their backs are turned, he's like making faces at her. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's sort of like the like younger sibling. The, in every um like coming of age young adult book you know judy bloom or anything that's like the most obnoxious but grown up like 10 years you know what i mean mm -hmm. so he's a high schooler and um it's like he I, didn't grow out of it sure like, i will say yeah. i this is my favorite um i guess it's sort of a read also but this is my favorite um movie for Matthew Broderick, because it's kind of perfect, because he's got such a baby face. He obviously is young in this film, um, but he's he's sort of the perfect cast to make it more acceptable because he is this tiny little guy. It's not like you've got a big jock with muscles. He's putting one over and taking whatever he wants. He's the um, he's not he's not hot enough to be Zach from Saved by the Bell, uh, but he's not dorky enough to be Screech. But he has the street smarts of Zach and and is somewhere between him and Screech. He's like a little adorable weasel. Yeah. Like just <laughs> weaseling his way around. Yeah. So yeah, getting everything he wants. Yeah. And there's a lot of famous moments in this film. I think that many people mm -hmm. have seen it. Many people love this movie. Uh, if you look at the reviews on things like aggregates like IMDb, I saw one that's like two days every year I skip out on school or work and, and I at least one of them I have to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a tradition. And, uh, you know, now I think I have a new tradition. Um, Jeff, what is your feeling of Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Well, I mean, like, John Hughes was clearly, like, a MacGyver fan. He, just, he like, created, you know, the MacGyver of, you know, home, home invasion and the MacGyver of, you know, minor delinquency. Um, I don't know. I mean, I agree. I agree with most of you. I mean, he's, he's not a very nice person. Um, I, I, I think that he he gets away with it in the the public side because he's doing something that they've like always fantasized is like you know skipping school is like you know you we we had snow days where we came from because we get you know snow in the, the school year and it's like oh what's what's better than a snow day you know you get to 
you know, miss, miss the, miss going to school. So I, I think, I think it, it really is, is it's like wish fulfillment for the audience. Um, and they, they somehow get over the fact that he is a very unlikable character. Um, he's, he's not nice. He normally, if you want to make somebody, uh, likable in writing, uh, you make them, you know, selfless and, uh, do, do something for somebody else uh, or at least care about somebody else. And, and this character doesn't seem to care about his family, his best friend or anyone and is only out to just, you know, have a good time for himself. So there's literally nothing about this character that n would fit kind of the normal rules of making them likable to an audience. Um, so, yeah, so it is, it is kind of interesting that it became so popular. That's true. Well, and I mean, I think that there's, I think you're right with the wish fulfillment. And I do think that that's, again, the cast of um, someone like Matthew Broderick was necessary. He had to be unassuming and sort of impish yeah. because if he was too cool, you know, I mean, I, even it might not even have worked if it was, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox. Um, and mm -hmm. sort of there, this is not, although I think people think of this as the epitome of like the sort of high school hijinks 80s movie. It's not by any means the first. I mean, uh, Michael J. Fox was in uh, kind of a, a TV movie bomb called High School USA in 83, three years before. And it's very similar um, in, a, in a different, like one of the differences is actually he's kind of this scamp who gets what he wants, but he's actually sort of identify like you identify with him because he is actually struggling he doesn't have great you know uh, he doesn't have any monetary resources you know all these things he doesn't have a perfect home life he's not really middle class or he's or he's low middle class on the economic scale uh you know for a white teenager at least in this country and uh it's sort of that makes him more likable. The script is, is terrible. It's much worse. So the film is not great. Although Roof Tracks did it this year and, and that, that made it watchable. But so this is sort of the, it's not the prototype, but it is the result, I think, of all of those movies of the 80s. Uh, and it's been copied ever since. And there's lots of things that aren't necessarily original in this movie, that, but that I think people sort of took from this movie. Uh, they saw this movie and then they ran with it like... Um, as he's listing off those things that you do to fake being sick and get out of school, it pops up on screen, sort of all uh, a more recent example would be Zombieland, you know, uh, the rules popping up on screen. Um, and actually, we just talked about Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the world had a lot of text on screen uh, a lot of the time, although sometimes it was sound effects. So that's interesting that we see that. Tad, what is your take on Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Here at Colton Classic, we enjoy tearing apart the classics. <laughs> I don't really have a lot of feeling for this movie. I've seen it quite a few times because my parents loved it. Um, not a huge Matthew Broderick fan. Wasn't a huge fan of this movie. I know this movie, but I also am, know the references that other shows and movies have done. Particularly my favorite being the Futurama one where Bender pretended to be sick and literally did the same damn thing. And, uh, but... Other than that, it's it's a movie that's not really all that funny. John Hughes had way better movies that I loved way more. Um, that, there's I not agree. much for me to say about it, honestly. I agree. It's let, sort me, of a... let me add one more comment to that. I, I think that the thing that's missing is, I think all of us went to you know similar schools. Um, in, in one case, we all went to the same high school. I was going to say, I think we all went to the same, um, we went to the same high school. Spoiler alert. Uh, you know, we went to it different elementary school. schools and other colleges and stuff. But I, I think the more maybe horrible your school experience is, you bring that to the movie. Because you, you don't actually see his school experience at all in this movie. Like, you don't, they, don't, they don't characterize that in the least. They don't even try to. They just started off. I'm skipping school. Like that's how the film starts. So basically you bring your own school experience into that. And so if you had a really horrible time at school, you, I think you can relate to him more. You're like, Oh, I get it. Like I get him like having to like skip school and like go through this extreme thing. So it's I like think the that preteen middle-class version of, um, of sticking it to the man. Yeah. So the, yeah, so the more that you need that, I think the more this this movie speaks to you, which is interesting because that that I think is in some ways a, a 
a bad way of doing filmmaking, but maybe in some ways good because it really leaves a lot of space for the audience to bring themselves to the to the mm. film, bring what their emotions, their feelings. True escape. Other than yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. I it just made me think. Do you, we had some high schools, and this is very Bueller-esque. They have a skip day, right? Um, where like it's sort of expected that a great number of students will just not show up. And I don't know if this is still relevant or if it's really going away. I think maybe it was more relevant before our time, but we had a, mm. do you remember we had a skip day at w the high school we went to? Um, uh, and it was a half day and it was usually, I think the second, like the Friday of the Deerfield fair, which was like the big fair in our little country area. And, uh, you guys remember that that was skipped. oh yeah they they there it was it was expected everyone was going to be there no one was going to school mm -hmm. here's here's mm. my favorite yeah. story about this is uh on skip day because i think oftentimes people went in the morning and just left at lunch right am i making that up no that sounds about right i think that was right because i think sometimes we would be there in the morning because people were like i don't want to be i don't they wouldn't mark you absent even though it was an unofficial yeah. rule some so, of us actually gave a so shit about our attendance <laughs> So we, I think we all took the computer classes at the time, oh, uh, like the program, things like that. There was this one, I forget his name. He seemed like a nice man, but he had no business teaching a programming class. We'd already well exceeded him with our previous instructor who got a way better, higher paying job somewhere else. Um, this guy, after this, by the way, uh, uh, I, I saw him again working at Home Depot and I don't wish him, he was an older gentleman, I don't wish him any harm, but I think it tells you something because this was skip day. It was probably the last skip day that I remember. So senior year, maybe uh, our good friend Russell was uh, in that class with us. And oh Lord, I guess Russell stories are great. I guess he had saved some pornographic pictures on a drive or something. And um, this teacher had found them, and before we arrived to class, he had printed them all out. <laughs> and that, then, this, I actually don't remember this story, and, then, and that took a, a very unexpected twist. And then he printed them all out, and then he held them up to us one by one as we entered with his hand over, I guess, the naughty bits. I don't think that's possible, but just like it was supposed to show us, and said, Which one of you did this? <laughs> and yes, yes. And he did that. And then I believe he also eventually, even though. I believe it was Russell. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure though. I think he told me it was. Um, but uh, he, he basically said, I know it's you, so I'm going to punish you. And I think he might have. Um, and uh, at which point I was, my sense of righteousness was hugely offended by this. And because I'm like, first off, so I went uh, to my mom who is a, a she's a powerhouse of um of her child's rights and so she the headmaster because we had a quote-unquote headmaster at our high school because we were quote-unquote semi-private which is quote-unquote not a thing and we um <laughs> and and he would actually dodge my mom when she'd come in to talk to him uh she'd go to the office because he wouldn't answer his door or his phone so she'd go to his office and they would say yes he's in there and so she would just go in and uh and I was like, uh, this teacher, not only is he a bad teacher and he hasn't taught us anything, uh, but he printed out pornographic images in the school printer and then proceeded to show them to us and then proceeded to accuse without any sort of uh, evidence and punish one of us for doing it. Um, and he was not renewed. Let's just say that. Uh, I... I'm not 100% sure that it was due to that, but I think it was. And I think that pretty much across the board, that has to be one of the stupidest things aside from having an affair with a child that you could do in a high school class to get to the class. <laughs> so, this is a side story, but that is what I think of whenever I think of Skip Day. So whenever I think of Ferris Bueller, I think of that story. This is Oh, that's a great. And this, I hope is, Russell is listening to this. Get, we need to get Russell on the podcast so he can uh, co corroborate this story for us. He certainly should be on the podcast. Oh, just also, tell some general Russell stories. Oh, so, God. We, we would have a podcast dedicated to Russell stories. It, he, I, I, we almost killed him at least once. Um, He's a, we're, he we're is our Ferris Bueller. He was our Ferris Bueller, it's true. Uh, okay, so 
as far as me, Ferris Bueller, I, I like the movie okay. Um, it was never a staple for me either. It was never my favorite. Breakfast Club was like my iconic John Hughes movie, which I adored. Uh, and then I got into Pretty in Pink and things. And I've, I liked Sixteen Candles a lot. The humor in there is so sophomoric. And many of these movies have very problematic things uh, in the current uh, climate, which means that, frankly, they're they're problematic things in general. Uh, I don't disagree that they are problematic, but uh, they're very fun movies overall, and they kind of are part of our uh, American film lexicon. So there we go. All right. Uh, I think we're going to move on. Jeff, uh, what was your film choice for your protagonist sucks? Oh, my. All right. Well, this is tied to the stuff later, but uh, so this is sequel related. Uh, so basically, all but The Curse of the Black Pearl, uh, Jack Sparrow is a terrible pr protagonist. Uh, I and we're talking about those are the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Pirates of Disney. the Caribbean, yes. Uh, Johnny Depp's uh, Jack Sparrow. Uh, I can't wait to receive some hate mail. Um, you know, uh, Dude, but I will, I will, I will defend this. So here's the thing so in in the first movie they uh they do a a great job of setting up an actual movie where you have characters <laughs> and they have you know arcs and you, you develop those characters throughout the film and there's some sort of conclusion to uh, everything that happened uh which is great because in, in in that case you have uh will turner as a protagonist uh, and I can't played remember. by Orlando Bloom. Yeah, played Berlin and uh, Kira Knightley's character. I I can't remember Elizabeth Swan. Elizabeth Swan, thank you. Uh, those two are your protagonists for the film, and it works right because the the heart the 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 beating heart of the film is the the romance between these two characters and their lost love and uh, you know their their star-crossed lovers or whatever whatever you know version you want to go for well, jack sparrow is sort of just the catalyst that brings yeah. that allows them freedom right to become I, pirates essentially yeah it, well he's I, I would describe him as as the character equivalent to weather like some days he's a nice you know wind blowing east bringing you home to the caribbean and some days it's a hurricane right like he's he's a he's like a trickster he's like you know he's he's like a you know, and, and, and if, if I were to rewrite things, I would just make him the trickster god. Like, that's like, that's his thing. Because it was really his character. He was just chaos. Like, some days he was helpful, some days he was not. Um, and it was interesting for exactly one film. Um, and then, for some reason, uh, really, actually, I know the reason. You know, it's one reason. Uh, everybody loves him because he's, you know, he's a great side character. He's you know, he's the, the character that you're, you're going to take away from this film and be like, oh, I love that. Like when he shows up, uh, he rides in on the leaking boat and, you know, it's sunk and he like, you know, lands on the uh, on the dock and like the crow's nest. It's hilarious. And it's, you know, he still pays the fee to dock his boat. <laughs> it's sunk. Um, you know, you immediately endeared to this character. You love him. Um, and, you know, throughout the film, he's this you know, rapscallion, he's a pirate, like, he's, like, truly, like, a pirate, um, and unfortunately, once this film ends, they make a ton of movies with this character as the protagonist, and he just can't be, like, this character just can't be a protagonist, because he has no dreams, he has really no motivations, or, uh, he's just there's just not chaos. much of a story yeah, arc for him chaos. because he's just chaos. He's just yeah. chaos. So he can't be a he's not a character. He's he's the weather. So like the like literally I've seen some of these other films. I don't remember well, them. They don't work for Twister, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Twister Yes, Twister was the, I remember there's one Twister that was the protagonist of that film. Um and it, it really worked. Named Sandra Bullock. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, wait. <laughs> I draw yeah, the so line at Twister conversation. <laughs> um, my podcast, yeah, so you draw, my you draw this character 
There are another like eight films. I don't know how many there it's, are. There's been five, who knows? I believe. Nobody but, knows who, how many they are. Nate doesn't know. He's just saying a number. <laughs> Nobody knows. The final <laughs> film. The final it's film. eight in 2020 counting. It is not eight. <laughs> It could be. It, it is. Could be. So Nobody there's, there's knows. The original, so they, they tried, after remembers. the success of the first film, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which I agree was a self-contained arc, mm-hmm. uh, then there were two additional First of the films. Black Pearl that we had eight sequels. There's First of the Black Pool, Pearl, and then we had four sequels. There was then, de- <laughs> um, uh, what was it? What was the second See, one called? he doesn't even know. You're right. I lost <laughs> he has it. the internet in front of him. He doesn't know. <laughs> well, so, so here's the thing. Dead Man's Chest. So Dead Man's Chest, I actually liked that film a lot. I actually thought it was quite strong. That's when we get Bill Nighy as Davy Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I thought that that was a solid follow-up. It, I mean, it's clear that they kind of reopened the first movie because they didn't realize that there was going to be a trilogy worth of, of of material i mean and as you're saying there really isn't um and so they reopened it i thought that they did a good job with that because they introduced a very strong villain with bill nye's character Mm uh and then their at world's end was very clear the third one that they didn't know where they were going with that arc and i think most people i'm gonna read you for filth tad because i remember you liked this movie when it came out you were like that was the best one and we just kind of all turned um (laughs) i i disagree i did not enjoy i mean there are moments but uh, it, was, it was, and then there was um, On Stranger Tides, which was sort of supposed to be a new story with Jack Sparrow. And again, they, they couldn't help but bring back other characters. They brought back Jeffrey Rush as Barbosa. Now, Jeffrey Rush is a fucking brilliant actor. He yes. is phenomenal. He made that character so special. He's the unsung hero of every movie that he's in. Uh, brilliant. Stranger Tides got ripped apart. Understandably, it's a weak plot. Um, there were some really interesting things, like the mermaids were terrifying. And then we got the last one, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales with Javier Bardem, where they sort of tried to, uh, and I actually haven't seen this one. I heard it is much better than uh, the previous few films. They kind of introduced a couple of more characters that were very sort of like, well, we don't have Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley's characters anymore, but here are these two that are sort of the same, but gender swapped. That's what I heard. Not sure. Javier Bardem is a very strong actor, but I got to say, he seems a lot like Davy Jones and they're just trying to shoehorn in like a, a whole nother one. So apparently, supposedly Disney still continuing the franchise. Um, I would myself, I welcome <clears throat> that. We don't get enough pirate films, but I would really like to see some brand new fresh blood and fresh story across the board. Yes. So, um, I, and, and let me be clear. So what, one of my, things in selecting this was it had to be something that you know in some way i enjoyed right like it couldn't just be like i picked a protagonist from uh something that i hated uh and and really the only thing that i hate about these films is because like i i love bill Nye. he's like my favorite actor uh i'll watch him you know you know pick pick his house like uh you know a balloon or so i don't care like whatever (laughs) whatever he wants to do i'm in um but the fact that they like were kind of slowly turning jack into the protagonist of the story just it just blows my mind it's just it there's no heart to these stories anymore there's nothing that makes you care what the action is on the screen and and there's really good action like they're good action films there's just nothing else there to make you care what is being shown um and and quite frankly, I mean, Jack is a cool character. I would like to see him as the side character of something more interesting. Um, it, it is interesting too. So just some some backstory in case anyone doesn't know the, the lore behind uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the, the filming of Pirates of the Caribbean. When Johnny Depp was cast, um, I believe it was Jerry Bruckheimer was producing uh, the film and Gore Verbinski, who had done the Ring remake and Mousetrap, uh, was directing it and he's got a very great sense of scale and so like things that have like beautiful vistas and lush colors I I think he's really excellent at Um, but he was super sold on having Johnny Depp who came in and did his weird drunk guy Jackie Chan drunken fist character of Jack Sparrow but Bruckheimer was horrified and and wanted to do he basically wanted 
it to be what was the original archetype for that character, sort of the um, Captain Morgan, you know, from the rum brand, like a very traditional, like grandiose pirate. Uh, but Johnny Depp really made the franchise, right? Because mm -hmm. I mean, that character exploded. And, uh, and I mean, I think for good reason. He had a, a lot of humor and he was very unique. Um, Johnny Depp is in his own issues right now with Amber Heard, who has her own issues right now. So we're going to steer clear of that at the moment because God knows how that will ever end. But uh, interesting backstory on that. I think part of the thing that got me that they lost in, in the sequels too is Jacksburg actually has a backstory in uh, the first film, The Curse of the Black Pearl, right? Like he essentially has... Um, he connections with this ghost ship led by Jeffrey Rush and his crew members. And, it, and it's his old ship. It's Jack's old ship. And he wants it back. And uh, Captain, um, is it Barbarossa? What's his name? Yeah, Barbarossa. Yeah, anyway. Bar um, so the point Barbosa. being, there was a little bit more that we learned about Jack. And I guess mm -hmm. in the last film, Dead Men Tell No Tales, there is also backstory. But again, that's a long it's a lot of films to wait to get some background character and it's sort of like the joker right giving a solid concrete backstory for a character that's essentially chaotic is problematic because you're unlikely to do it well enough to make people satisfied so you're kind of just building a problem for yourself um, mm -hmm. there's a reason why you know you don't understand the backstory of Heath Ledger's Joker in um, Dark Knight Return. Like, you, there's a reason. Um, because if they gave it to him, because originally, I guess, there were thoughts that they would actually have the backstory with Heath Ledger's characters. Like, you want to know how I got this scar? And he'd say the same story. Well, obviously, we know he changes it every time, which makes it all the better. So we, we never... That's one of the best parts of that movie, actually. Yeah, Absolutely. it's like an unsung again, part, yeah. Very much driven by that, by that actor's character choices, right? Very much like Jack Sparrow. So, you know... Uh, I think I think you're right. I think a lot of people agree with you that, that it maybe has outlived its welcome. Being a big fan of the ride uh, that the movie is based off of, and let's not forget, this movie is franchise is based off a literal ride uh, at yes. Disneyland, right right down to the dog holding the keys that let people out of the cells. Like it, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, I would love to see it. Uh, it wouldn't even have to officially be a reboot. I would love to see a new story featuring new characters, and if you want to throw in background easter eggs for mm -hmm. things great but that's probably where you should take this one so it, i mean we're eventually going to talk about sequels and and the problem with this is it, when when you have like this thing that people like jack sparrow people like it uh i feel like the the thing that you know the corporations do is they say all right we got this thing people like we're gonna beat the audience over <laughs> the head with this character until they're dazed and then we'll just loot all their money that, that I feel like is, is essentially the definition of sequel. Like, I don't, I, I think there's another one that you can get in a dictionary, but in my mind, that's what it is. Um, I think if you had taken Jack Sparrow and just, you know, given us a little, like less, just give us less of the sugar, uh, it would have been a more balanced meal. That's, that's, I think the only thing that we needed. And, and I think what you're really getting at is that, and we'll talk about sequels in another mini-sode, but, and I'm sure many more, uh, it's that mindset that the sequel needs to be what the audience liked from the first one again. And that's not really the case necessarily. For example, uh, Logan, the third solo Wolverine film, is a radical departure from the first two movies and the X-Men franchise in general. And it is by far the most brilliant and exceptional mm -hmm. film in the lot. Uh, and that's because they said, this is the kind of movie we're making with these characters, as opposed to these are the characters from last movie. What are we going to put them in again to recreate last movie? Um, so that's, that's, I think the core of the problem. Uh, but yes, I think Jack Sparrow, I think you're right. He's not a full fledged character. He was never intended to be a full fledged character and trying to squeeze more out of him than is actually there, it's going to cause some problems. I mean, 15 films, it's too many. It's too many. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Pirates of Transformers Caribbean. Yeah. Um, that's, that's where I think the, the franchise is officially going. Okay. Uh, Look, we're going to move. We've, 
this mini episode is becoming a full episode, which is, I love it, but we're going to move on to the final selection for this mini episode. Your protagonist sucks. Um, but first, I do want to play to give credit to um, the great parts of the Jack Sparrow character. This, this clip from uh, Jack Sparrow with Orlando Bloom as they are stealing, uh, I believe it's the Interceptor, an English uh, ship. Hey. Everyone stay calm. We are taking over the ship. I am lost. <laughs> this ship cannot be crewed by two men. You'll never make it out of the bay. Sam, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Savvy. And that is, of course, his catch what became his catchphrase. Savvy. And I really loved Depp's gravel in his voice that he put in for that role. And I think that it's really, I mean, it's iconic. It's one of those roles that no one in contemporary time will be able to step in those shoes uh, and, and do that character. So it's sort of, uh, it is what it is. Also, I heard that he, because Johnny Depp notoriously does not like to do things like sequels. Um, he doesn't tend to even do mainstream films, really, until mm -hmm. the, 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 this latter half of his life. Uh, but I guess he did it, <laughs> the money. Yes, he did need money. That is absolutely true. At some point, I believe he might have even filed for some, some level or approaching bankruptcy at one point for his spending. But uh, he said he did it for his kids so or, or some young people somewhere. And that's always a nice thing to hear. But, you know, that Disney money, though, that ain't that Disney money. Um, he, yeah. He did it for the wigs. Did it for the wigs. Did it for, I always liked that they gave him kind of rotted ass teeth because I'm like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. realistic. Let's, uh, let's do that. Um, I, I'm hesitant to go to my film choice um, <laughs> because everyone has sort of picked films that uh, Mandy, I'm there with you that you, you didn't like that film at all because you don't like the character, but Tad and Jeff, you guys oh, no, I think it's a great, I thought Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a very successful escapist film, like at what it was. I just wish that they found a way to do it. That wasn't like making the main character just a jerk. Cause like, it gets confusing. Like, do you love the film? Like you love the protagonist? Like you want to kind of be like, you want to have the things that he has, but like, don't really want to be him but you want to stick it to the man but like he's a jerk like it's i mean complicated but it's just like it bugged me i just never liked him <laughs> i wish they'd done it better in a different way and that the movie still worked but like clearly they didn't <laughs> it's true it's true they didn't um they didn't they didn't this, do that this film uh has two main characters and I despise it. I despise the characters. I despise the film. Uh, it actually made me angry at the cast a little bit when it came out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're just gonna dive right in. <laughs> My choice for your protagonist, in this case, your protagonist suck, is Silver Linings Playbook. Oh now, yeah. This film Ooh. was nominated for many Academy Awards. Um, uh, and You've brought this up before, uh, how much you hate this movie. I, I yep. have. I have. You um, have. Uh, usually it comes out uh, in the morning when I'm brushing my teeth and I remember that I exist in this world. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, Jennifer Lawrence, I think, actually <laughs> won Best Actress for this. Is that correct? I, I, can't, I can't remember um, for sure. But... Uh, Oh, yeah, yep, and that was that was in this is in 2013. Uh, this film came out. It is directed by David O. Russell, who wrote the screenplay based off a novel by Matthew Quick. David O. Russell, um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the directing. Uh, he did American Hustle. He also did Three Kings, which let's talk about. Uh, I think that came up on uh, our our War Is Hell episode that I don't like that movie either. So I think he tends to take films that I don't like. Um, but he also produced uh, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. So maybe I can, I don't know, can forgive him. I'm not sure. But here's what happens in this movie. So uh, it's got a great cast. It, Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, and the father of, of Bradley Cooper's character, Robert De Niro. So Bradley Cooper um, 
has uh, sort of a breakdown and it, he is, gets out of a mental institution. He was a teacher, now he's not a teacher. He's uh, moves back in with his parents. Uh, he has an ex-wife. Then he meets Tiffany. Uh, the, the, the press packet, I believe, referred to as a mysterious girl with problems of her own, played by Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, this film misunderstands and misrepresents mental illness on a level that uh, it's unbelievably bad is all I'm going to say about that part of it. Because here's, here's what happens. It is a, supposed to be essentially a romantic comedy. And these two deeply damaged characters, uh, he has like rage problems, bipolar, and um, who knows what the hell's wrong with Jennifer Lawrence's problems. They, they are supposed to be the perfect match for each other. And the end, they actually like propose and are engaged and to be married. Now, in what world are two profoundly mentally damaged people best put together in a toxic relationship and that's a happy ending? It is so, so horrendous. Uh, and this movie like blew other contenders out of the water for like best picture nominations, things of that nature. And it, it, it this should have told us uh, all we needed to know about the state of mental health in the United States. It is batshit crazy. Um, let's also talk about uh, Bradley Cooper's character, who I will say this for Bradley Cooper. I like Bradley Cooper. I think he does a lot of great work. I mean, he's the voice of Rocket Raccoon, and he played American Sniper. I didn't even really care for American Sniper, but the characters are so radically different that that's range. Um, but let's talk about the fact that uh, he's a man, and his issue is anger, and she's a woman, and her issue is she fucks everything. That's literally like her character problem. Like she just wants to have sex with everybody because that's the only way she can handle things. Um, if anyone sees this and doesn't immediately notice a problem with those characterizations of men and women, I don't know what to tell you. I guess you'd probably love this movie. Uh, it is rated R. We're gonna listen to a clip here. This has some of the most wooden acting and i'm not even going to say who i'm referring to you'll hear it and i'm going to ask each of you to tell me which person you think it is that i'm talking about wooden acting here we go this is from the silver linings playbook 2013. do i think you did pretty well yeah she said you were cool basically basically is that some percentage not cool no she said you were cool but you know no i don't know sort of how you are Fine, relax. What do you mean? How am I? What's that? Sort of like me. Sort of like you? I hope to God you didn't tell Nikki that. Why? Because it, it's just not right lumping you and I together. It's. I mean, it's just wrong, and Nikki wouldn't like that. Especially after all the shit you just told me. You think that I'm crazier than you? <laughs> because we're different, I mean. Oh my god. Oh, you're killing me. Who says you're killing me after being insulted? You're killing me. Especially especially knowing what is what she what kind of problem she has. I, Most people would be like screaming in the in the restaurant. I this and this is the performance that won Jennifer Lawrence Best Leading Actress. Now, if this is Best Leading Actress, then I, I mean, the, who is she against? Like, Catherine Hepburn in The Grave? Like, I don't understand what made this so appealing to people. It is really a terrible film, in my humble opinion. I think that the idea that it is supposed to be uplifting because these people with profound problems, um, get help but they don't actually get help they get married that's not a recipe for help if you Dude, are that solves all problems so it's all it's the power of love nate i mean yeah right i was exactly. like that's that's like the second tier of the american dream <sighs> exactly and that's part of the problem is it operates on um these sort of stereotypes of how life is supposed to go and because they found each other now everything's going to be fine well Let's also put in the fact that I think the screenplay is not good. I think that the events in the film are uninteresting. And most of the time, Bradley Cooper looks confused 
and Jennifer Lawrence looks angry but without eyebrows, which makes it extra confusing. So I don't understand how this happened. And I don't like insulting actors or cast or crew or anything like that. I am not, Jennifer Lawrence's performances don't do it for me. I'm not sure what I'm missing. Other people enjoy it, that's fine. Um, but I will say that uh, a friend of, of me and the wife who uh, worked for a while for Sony um, said that, oh, Jennifer Lawrence, you mean Kristen Stewart, but who wins Oscars? That's kind of where we're at. And of course, Kristen Stewart at that time had just come off of the Twilight series. And I will say this, Kristen Stewart has learned how to act. Uh, Underwater this year was phenomenal. She did a great job. So uh, kudos to you. Maybe Jennifer Lawrence can pick it up over time, but I I don't know. She, I, To me, she, she just didn't do it. Um, so it was like a double whammy of this film for me. Silver Linings Playbook had bad characters who were written in an insensitive way to mental illness, uh, an unrealistic way to human nature, and then acted not very good, at best serviceable. And you have this, and with that, even scenes of Robert De Niro screaming couldn't save it. Um, because, uh, you know, he's great at that. So uh, I don't know why, but this, this people loved this movie. It, it was phenomenal to them. And 2013 uh, had, um, God, I don't even know. But there were other films that were much, much more deserving. 2013 was a terrible year in general. <sighs> I mean, seriously, if you're going to be, if you're going to write insensitively, at least make it entertaining. That was the thing. If it had been, I mean, there were just, there really weren't a lot of competition movies at that time, um, I think. But again, anything <laughs> at this point, anything. Um, I mean, Man of Steel was out. Man of Steel was great. Um, you know, bite me. Oh, Nate. Oh, Nate. We're going to have a fight. <laughs> Man of Steel was a phenomenal movie and one of the best superhero movies ever made. And we will talk about this in another episode because I, I want to hear what you have to say so I can tell you. All right, it's that, we're going, we're dropping it. We're dropping it on this one. All right. So we are going to move on uh, to the end of this episode. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. I'm not even going to give you guys a chance to respond uh, to Silver Linings Playbook. That was just my, the entire purpose. Your podcast, your last word. That's right. I just wanted to <laughs> rant about how much I dislike that film. Uh, now let me talk about Tree of Life. I'm just kidding. Here we go. Oh. Uh, we <laughs> We are going to wrap it up here to play us out as always is the chud. Remember you can join us at www.patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and you can visit our website at www.cultandclassicpodcast.com. Remember to, you can email us recommendations or if you have films that you're interested in hearing our opinions on, then you can email them to us at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much and we look forward to hearing from you next week. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.